chapter 19. I'd like to talk to you today about the revelation of Jesus Christ or what we call the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ is in two phases. The first, uh, Brother Al talked to us several weeks ago, it's called the rapture. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, we're looking forward to that and uh, a lot of people that I know just can't wait for the trumpet to sound and the dead to be raised incorruptible. Receive that new body uh, like the body of Christ. But there's another event in the Bible that is the second part of what we call the second coming. That's called the revelation. So I direct your attention this morning to verse number 11 of Revelation 19. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now, I know that when you get to that spot in the Bible that you've heard that word before, because John, uh, the gospel writer, says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so the name of Christ before before Bethlehem was the word of God. And so here we find that word again. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and what? Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come, and gather together for the supper of the great God. Verse 19, And I saw the beast, this is the Antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on a horse and against his army. Just think of it. People living on earth at war with the God of eternity right here. Verse 20, then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs or miracles in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast. Now, we know what the mark of the beast is, don't we? It's six, six, what? Six. And those who worshipped his image, these two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with a sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. This is the second phase of the second coming of Christ. At the beginning of World War II, the, the Philippines were about to fall to the Japanese. And General Douglas MacArthur was ordered by President Roosevelt to evacuate his staff immediately. And before he left, MacArthur made a promise to the Filipino people. He said, and you know what it is, I shall what? return. 
Because of the complexity of the war, he was unable to make good on that promise for another three years. But all during that long period, shortwave radio broadcasts supported those people fighting in the Philippines and repeatedly talked about MacArthur's promise, I shall return. Eventually, on October 22, 1944, General MacArthur waded ashore and declared, I have returned. It was a promise that shaped MacArthur's entire strategy for all those years. He made a promise, and he intended to fulfill it, no matter what the obstacles were. You know, we celebrate Christmas uh, every year, and already we're celebrating. You just walk downstairs in the children's ministry, and uh, there's a tree up. It's, it's up for a purpose, though. And uh, every Christmas what we do is we take those Old Testament prophecies out of the Old Testament. You know, Christ is born of a virgin. He's born in Bethlehem. And we uh, talk about the prophecies. But I just uh, want to tell you this morning that in the Old Testament, uh, the return of Christ is mentioned in some 17 books of the Bible. And in the New Testament... In 23 books of the Bible, there are 27 total. Actually, there are eight times as many prophecies about Christ's second coming as his first coming. Now, we're getting ready to celebrate his first coming, and it's good to do that. But I'm talking to you today about an event that is more prophesied than that first coming. You know, in the Old Testament, Jesus has portrayed as a suffering servant and conquering king. And when the nation of Israel was looking for a conquering king, they couldn't digest the fact that Jesus was coming as a suffering servant. They didn't want any more suffering. They'd had enough from Rome. And so their eyes were blinded and they couldn't really see who he was. We know now that the suffering servant had to do with Bethlehem. The conquering king has to do with the second coming, not the first coming. Seven out of every ten chapters in the New Testament mention Christ's return. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament talk about Christ coming to earth. When you get to the book of First and Second Thessalonians, in every single chapter of those two books, the second coming is mentioned. There are plenty of promises in the Bible about the coming of Christ. If you'd like to turn over in your Bible to Acts chapter 1 verse 9, it says this, now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Jesus was ascending into heaven. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. They were angels who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. And so the angel said when Christ ascended, he's coming back again and he's coming exactly like he left. He's coming back bodily, visibly, to earth. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 30, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, Verse 7, that every eye will see Christ when he comes back. Now, we have to differentiate then between the second phase of the second, of the second coming and the first phase. 
The first phase, Christ comes back just like that, and nobody sees him except the believers who are taken in the rapture. But when he comes back seven years later in the revelation, every eye will see him. Now, where does he come? Where does he arrive? Well, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4 says, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The very first prophet in the Bible, Enoch, prophesied about what we're talking about today. Now remember, he was a contemporary of Noah. And in the little book of Jude, right in front of Revelation, verse 14, this is what Enoch says. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all. When Christ comes back the second time, he's coming to settle the accounts. The Bible says the wage of sin is death. And so he's coming back to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Verse 15 in Jude mentions the word ungodly four times. Jesus is coming back in judgment. Now, the rapture of the church is when Christ harvests his church off of the earth. I believe it was Brother Al who said that uh, the word rapture is not in the, our New Testament. It's a Latin word. Uh, it was used in the Latin translation. It was just brought over into English, and we call it the word rapture. It simply means caught up. Uh, Christ is coming to catch up the church, and I know a lot of people that would like for that to happen pretty quickly. And that's our meeting in the air. Probably none of us in this auditorium, uh, all of us in this auditorium have gone to a cemetery and have said goodbye to somebody we really love. And they were believers, and uh, our hope is that we will see them again. And of course, in the rapture, we will. The Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who are alive shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. But then there is this revelation. That's seven years later. Christ is coming back with the church. First of all, he's coming for the church. Secondly, he's coming with the church. And when the church is removed, an unprecedented time of trouble is going to take place on planet Earth. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21, that the trouble is going to be worse than the world has ever experienced. That'll take your breath away. He said, listen, you think times have been hard in history? They're going to be worse in the future. Well, the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit through the church will be removed Men will be left to their own devices. And you know, when men are left to their own devices, chaos breaks out. And Jesus said, except those days be shortened, um, no one could survive. Well, we look at this from our earthly perspective, and we use the word Armageddon. In our society, when you hear the word Armageddon, it kind of puts chills up and down your spine. Because it, uh, it's, it's something very ominous in the future. Revelation 16, verse 13 says this, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs, out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast. 
and out of the mouth of the false prophet. That's the satanic trinity. For they are spirits of demons performing signs or miracles which go out to the kings of the earth and of all the world to gather them together to battle of that great day of God Almighty. This means in the last days, demons are going to marshal uh, different parts of the world to come against Israel. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, and he who wa- lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gather them together in a place called in the Hebrew Armageddon. There is an ominous tone to that particular word. The battle of Armageddon. Uh, there's plenty of promises in the Bible that Christ will come back. But there is a preparation for his coming. And uh, Jesus said those days have to be shortened. And if they aren't shortened, no flesh will be saved. And so right before this coming of Christ, the revelation, the world is going to be devastated. Millions of people will perish And the most evil person in all of history will be the ruler that is going to be put down by Christ when he comes back again. Well, some of you have lived long enough to have looked in your history and said, listen, uh, we have tried to identify the Antichrist, right? People living during Hitler's time said for sure he's the Antichrist. Some of you remember the days we thought Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. Now, we have to apologize to Henry right now. Uh, and so we were always looking for the Antichrist. So one of these days, don't go there. One of these days, the Antichrist is coming. And uh, the Lord is going to return and he's going to dethrone the Antichrist. Revelation seventeen fourteen says this. This will make... These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. The coming of the Lord. Jesus, remember, ascended up into heaven. He is seated today at the Father's right hand, and one of these days he's going to get up, and he's coming to earth to overthrow the Antichrist. Let me make a few comparisons today between Christ's first coming and his second coming. First, the Bible says, and we read it here in verse 11, that heaven is opened. Several times in the New Testament do we find that happening. When Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist, the Bible says, heaven opened, and the Spirit came down in the form of a dove upon Christ. In Acts chapter 7, remember Stephen, that first Christian martyr, was dying in a pool of blood, And he looked up into heaven, and heaven opened, and he saw the Son of Man standing at the Father's right hand. Here we find that heaven is opened, and Christ is coming again. Now compare that to the first time Christ came. The door was closed at the inn, right? No room there. Well, Christ will not be denied this time. Revelation 1-7 says, Every eye shall see him. He's coming with his armies on the clouds. Now, this is easy for us to realize today because we live in the age of technology, right? And so if Christ came back in Jerusalem today, immediately we would hear about it on all the news broadcast around the world. But uh, Christ doesn't even have to do it that way because he has other means that are probably better than that. 
The Bible says that he is coming on a white horse. Conquerors always rode a white horse. It was a symbol of victory and power. Remember when Jesus came the first time, you know what he came on, right? A little donkey. And that was an emblem of humility and servitude. Well, when he comes the second time, he's coming as a Roman general, riding into Rome on a white horse. But, you know, when you read the book of Revelation, there are four other horse, horses there as well uh, in Revelation chapter 6. There's another white ho horse. And on that white horse, we believe the Antichrist is going to come and reveal himself as a person of peace. And then there's a red horse, and that means warfare, we believe. And there's a black horse, and that means famine. And there's a pale horse, and that means plagues and diseases. And during that time of destruction on earth, these horse riders right here will be riding through the world, creating chaos until uh, the true Christ comes on his white horse. His appearance, or as his eyes are a flame of fire, his penetrating gaze will not be denied. His head is crowned with many crowns. Now that's interesting. I always thought, how can you do that? His, on his head he has many crowns. Now remember, if you were here last week, I talked to you about the crowns for a Christian. Do you remember? Uh, and I said to you that whenever we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord is going to reward us for the work that we've done for him. And we are to receive these crowns. And I said to you that the crown that believers receive is a, a wreath. Uh, it's a victory wreath, something like this. You've seen those things before, just made out of um, some sort of... Uh, Whatever they grow at the time, they just wrap it up. It's green, and, put, and they put that on the head of the victor. That's, the, that, that's a particular Greek word in the Bible, and that Greek word is Stefano. But the Bible says here that when Christ comes back, he's going to have on his head many crowns, and it's another different word. And it's the word from which we get the English word diadem. And so it's a different crown. That's the crown that Christ will wear when he comes back. We have the wreath. He has the crown. And remember years ago, we used to sing the song in the church, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall and bring forth his royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Well, that's his crown right there. He's clothed in a white robe dipped in blood. I remember reading that many times. And I couldn't understand that until I came across a commentator and he said that blood on the white robe of Christ symbolizes the blood that Christ shed on the cross for your sins and my sins. Isn't that interesting? And here he comes in this climactic hour and uh, he is blood stained and he wants us to always remember that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. He's the one that died upon the cross for our sin. He wants us to have that in our mind. His names, what are they? They are faithful and true. Jesus is faithful, right? When I first came to Christ as a kid, my mother told me right away, Johnny, don't put your trust in any man. They'll always let you down. Well, Mom, you were really right. 
you know, we can't live up to each other's expectations, can we? I can't live up to your expectations. You can't live up to my expectations. And if we're around each other long enough, we'll let each other down for sure. But Jesus never fails. He is faithful and true. He's always there. His name is called the Word of God. Uh, he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Out of all the kings of the earth, He is the King. Now, we've lived in, a, lived in an era of time where our culture has crowned some kings. Remember Elvis Presley. He died August 16, 1977. Michael Jackson died June 25, 2009. Uh, those kings are dead. They used to say, long live the king. Buddha died in 400 B.C. and he didn't get up. Mohammed died June 8th. 632, but he didn't get up. Joseph Smith died, 1844, but he didn't get up. Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson died June 12, 1994, and the Jews all over the Crown Heights section are still waiting for him to get up. One day our Lord Jesus Christ died, and on the third day he got up. And he's coming back again. He's alive. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. You know, I, I love this passage in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, the Bible says, In being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on the earth and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, to the glory of the Father. Could this be the day when that will happen? When Christ comes riding back on that white horse with his armies, that's you and that's me, his church, comes riding with him. Could that be the day that everybody will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? You know, you've heard it said, and many of, many of us have heard people say, oh, I want to go to hell because all my friends are going to be there with me. How many people have ever heard of statements like that? Raise your hand. Sure. How many people have ever said it? No, don't. Say, before, before you were saved, you said things like that. I don't care. You just kind of blew off people that were religious. Well, let me say today that, that uh, I think hell is going to be a place where people are confessing the lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't think that they're gonna, it's going to be a place uh, God is going to let them go do their own thing. Uh, believers today have already confessed him. And at the name of Jesus, we have bowed our knee. But the Bible says, listen, uh, every, every tongue in, in heaven, on earth, and in hell will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Eventually. They will. People today say, hey, listen, I don't want to have anything to do with God. Well, you know, that's, that's their choice. It really is. Everybody gets to make a choice. But those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ have implemented Romans 10.9 in our life. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. We have made that confession. We have bowed our knee before the Lord in submission. 
In that day, they'll bow their knee before the Lord just in acknowledgement. That's all. Not submission. Just in acknowledgement. Queen Victoria of England said that she wished the second coming of Christ would take place while she was alive. Uh, and that she might have the privilege of laying the crown of the British Empire at the feet of Christ. Well, uh, he's coming with crowns. His armies? Who are they? Uh, they are believers following him on white horses. Also, angels are coming with him, the Bible says, Matthew 25, 31. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Well, uh, armies are just spectators in that day. You know, today the church is the army of God, believe it or not. Uh, you and I are the only army God has today, and, and uh, he has given us his sword, the sword of the Spirit, the Bible. I was walking through a cemetery one day, and I read these words, Here I lay my burdens down and turn my cross into a crown. I think we could also say, One day in our life, here I lay my Bible down and turn my cross into a crown. One of these days we won't need this, but today we will, because this is the sword of the Spirit. And this is what the church takes into the world. And this is what we open in front of people and say, listen, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And so our job is to prepare people for the future. Now, if you're saved today, you don't have to worry about the future, do you? In fact, uh, when you think about it, it looks pretty good compared to what we have on earth. Someone said one time, you can't threaten me with heaven. And we rely upon that, don't we? Heaven's looking pretty good. Well, our message in the church is we have good news. Uh, and the reason why we have this good news is because of another crown. And it's the crown of thorns that Christ had on his head when he died. The crown of thorns. Jesus paid the debt that you owed to God for your sin. He stepped up and made the payment. God accepted the payment. And then, sometime in your, in your history, you said, Lord, I accept your forgiveness that you earned for me upon the cross, and you were saved. You know, the purpose of Bible prophecy is not for us to just make a calendar and say, hey, listen, this will happen here and this will happen here. Uh, this should motivate us because we know that there is a future for a believer, and it's with the Lord. And it is a glorious, glorious future. It really is. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed uh, this morning, I'd like to ask you this question. If the trumpet were to sound today and the first phase of the second coming took place, the rapture, would you be ready to go to be with the Lord? I mean, would you be a part of the family of God that just kind of caught up into heaven? Or would you be left behind? That's a good thought to think about because that's what I thought about when I was a kid and I went to a church that taught the Bible. I thought, boy, I'll tell you what, I don't want to be left behind. I want to go when the trumpet sounds. I want to go with my mother, my father, my sister, Judy. I want all of us to go together to be in the presence of the Lord. Well, in order for that to happen, you... You have to embrace Christ in this life. You have to embrace Christ now as your Savior. Coming to church won't save you. 
Giving money to God won't save you. No good works can save you. Communion can't save you. None of that can save you. Only Christ and Christ alone. And so I'd like to invite you to invite Christ into your heart here in the church this morning. You don't have to walk down an aisle. You don't have to have an emotional experience. You just have to make a decision. And that decision is that you're coming to Christ to be your Savior. Pray a prayer like this in your heart today. Dear Lord, I acknowledge that I need you. I am a sinner. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I'm trusting you and you alone as my Savior today. Come into my life. Come in today. Come in to stay. The Holy Spirit will come to you if you're sincerely praying that prayer this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time that we can meet together around your word again in the church. We pray that you will help us to walk out of this church not just with our eye on the future of the coming of the Lord, but our eye on the present, the people we want to join us in our journey and in the rapture ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song.